Welcome to History Books and Wine, where three author friends talk about books and fun historical tidbits, all while raising a glass of vino. We're your hosts, Lori and Bailey, Eliza Knight, and Madeline Martin. So, pour a glass and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 38 of the History Books and Wine podcast. I'm your host this week, Lori Ann Bailey. I'm a National Reader's Choice and Holt Medallion award-winning author who writes Scottish historicals with hot Highland heroes and spunky, independent lasses finding their perfect matches in the Scottish Highlands. Today kicks off our run on holiday history. And I'm up first with Hanukkah, then Madeline will be taking Christmas, and Eliza will be discussing Hogmani. I'm not sure how that's pronounced, but I'm sure she will enlighten us on January 2nd when she goes. But first up, I need to talk about what I am drinking, and I'm really excited about this. I found at Target recently that Apothic has started making single-serve bottles. So I don't have to open up a whole bottle and drink it quickly so that it doesn't go bad. But what's even better about these little single-serve bottles is technically they're just a little bit more because the Apothic single-serves equal one and a half glasses versus a regular one-glass serving. So... I'm excited about this today, and let me read you a little bit more about this Apothic Red that I am drinking. This original red blend is anything but ordinary. Discover alluring notes of black cherry, mocha, vanilla, and a character all its own, all in a single serving that boldly goes anywhere you go. And today it has gone downstairs into my basement office and it's about to go into my mouth. So thank you, Apothic Red. Hmm. And as usual, it is quite yummy. So today I am talking about the history of Hanukkah. And this is something that is close to my heart. While I grew up a Southern Baptist and I uh, have always celebrated Christmas. My husband is Jewish. And once we met and started dating, uh, I started learning more about the history of Hanukkah. And this has a special place in my heart, not only because of that, but because I've uh, recently been part of that Hanukkah anthology that we've talked about a couple times in the podcast. So I don't think there are enough stories out there about Hanukkah and people don't know enough about it. So that's why I am kicking off this special and we are going to dive into some history here. So the events that sparked the story of Hanukkah have their roots in one of the many turbulent times in Jewish history. There are so many of those, but around 200 BC, the land of Israel, which was also known as Judea, came under the control of Antiochus III, and he was a Syrian king of the Seleucid dynasty. And I apologize, but I'm going to do my best to pronounce everything correctly. 
and we're just going to go with that and hopefully it sounds good. So this king did let the Jews live their own lives and practice their religion. But the real problem came when his son, Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, took over. And according to ancient sources, he outlawed the Jewish religion and ordered the Jews to start worshiping Greek gods. In 168 BC, his soldiers descended upon Jerusalem, massacring thousands of people and desecrating the city's holy second temple. And in a few minutes, I'm going to go into why it's the second temple versus the first temple. I had to do a little bit of research on that. So we'll go into that in a little bit. So what happened when the Syrians desecrated the second temple, they erected an altar to the god Zeus and began making sacrifices of pigs within its walls. So a Jewish priest named Mattathias and his five sons began a revolt against Antiochus and the Seleucid monarchy. And that's the name of the, uh, the dynasty that was ruling in Syria at the time. When Mattathias died in 166 BC, his son Judah took over the rebellion. He was known as Judah Maccabee, and he had a nickname. He was called the Hammer. And he had a group of rebel warriors that followed him. And these Jewish rebel warriors were called the Maccabees. And using mostly guerrilla warfare tactics, it took them two years, but the Maccabees were able to drive out the Syrians and reclaim their land. Upon their victory, Judah called on his followers to cleanse the second temple rebuild its altar, and light the menorah, which was a golden candelabrum. It had seven branches that represented knowledge and creation and were meant to be kept burning every night. And to understand the next part of the story, you need to know that there are two Talmuds in the Jewish religion, and what these are, they are both collections of Jewish writings. Uh, one is called the Babylonian Talmud, and it dates to the 5th century with uh, a few earlier writings in there. Then there is a Talmud called the Palestinian or Jerusalem Talmud, which dates to even earlier times. But according to the Talmud, Judah Maccabee and the other Jews who took part in the rededication of the Second Temple witnessed what they believed to be a miracle. Although they only had enough olive oil to keep the menorah lit for one night, it kept burning for eight. This led Jewish sages to proclaim a yearly eight-day festival. According to a separate source, which is called the Book of Maccabees, there was an eight-day celebration after the rededication, but this source doesn't mention the oil. So the religious text that the Jewish people call the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. Hanukkah doesn't appear in the Torah because the events that inspired the holiday occurred after it was written. But it is mentioned in the New Testament when Jesus attends a Feast of Dedication, and that is believed to be a reference to Hanukkah. And that brings me 
to the meaning of the word Hanukkah, which is dedication. It used to be tradition for people to give money or guilt to one another for Hanukkah. But as Christmas has become more popular, more and more Jewish people began giving gifts instead of money. But you can still find, and they have it just about everywhere you find Hanukkah stuff, gold foil covered chocolate coins known as Hanukkah gelt. And that's still really prevalent and kids love it. Other traditional foods for Hanukkah include latkes. There is a special name for jelly donuts that I've never been able to pronounce. I'm going to try it. Safinyot. So jelly donuts is one of the um, fried foods. Apple fritters, kugel. And the reason you think of fried foods when you think of Hanukkah is the symbolism of the oil and having the oil for the lamp and the oil that you fry your food in. So that symbolizes the miracle of the oil that burned for eight nights straight. Jewish holidays like Passover and Rosh Hashanah are actually much more significant than Hanukkah. So Hanukkah is not a major holiday in the Jewish religion. I would say the biggest holiday is probably Yom Kippur, which is the uh, Day of Atonement. And if you're comparing Judaism to Christianity, I would compare Yom Kippur to Easter. The most common way to spell Hanukkah is H-A-N-U-K-K-A-H. But technically, all the spellings are accurate. And I know you know, everybody uses something different, and when you're looking at things, there are several, several different ways to spell it. But I've always gone with this one that's more common. For me, it's easier to remember how to spell it. <laughs> but the reason for this is that there is no correct way to directly translate the Hebrew sounds to English. So it can be spelled a variety of different ways, and all of them are correct. During Antiochus IV's reign, Greek Syrians had outlawed Jewish studies. So the Jews spun dreidels to pretend that they were merely playing games while they engaged with their scripture. There are Jewish letters on these little spinning tops and they stand for different instructions during the game. Uh, children play it now, and they usually use the chocolate gelt I mentioned before, or pennies, or any other little things that they can trade back and forth quickly and easily. And I'll put the words that are on a dreidel and the meanings and the directions for how to play in the show notes, just in case y'all would like to learn how to play dreidel. Now, another interesting thing is even though there are only eight nights of Hanukkah, there are technically nine candles on a menorah. The ninth candle is called the Shamas, or uh, as I've learned to refer to it as the helper candle. It's usually a different height from the others, and sometimes it's a little bit forward or back, but this candle is used to light all the other candles. So you light it first, then you light the number of candles you're supposed to light for that evening. And there is a direction you're supposed to light them. I believe it's from the right to the left looking out of a window, but 
I did not look that up for this podcast, so don't quote me on that one. But there is a specific direction you're supposed to go in. And that uh, Shamas candle is lit every night. So technically, there are always at least two candles burning. And though technically it's not related to Hanukkah, I had to look this up. And I mentioned it earlier. Hanukkah is about the rededication of the second temple. So I was just curious what happened to the first temple. And that's interesting because the first temple was also known as Solomon's Temple. And it was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar II after a siege of Jerusalem in 587 BC. And I also felt that was important because I learned an interesting fact when I was writing the story for uh, Eight Kisses, the Hanukkah anthology that I'm in, and that has to do with dairy and how uh, today we make potato latkes for Hanukkah, but before that, people fried cheese. And there's a significance to that. And part of that is there is a woman known as Judith who snuck into the camp of Holofernes, who was Nebuchadnezzar's top general. So during the time of the first temple, she snuck into the camp with her maid. She was a widow and Nebuchadnezzar's top general let her into his tent. They drank together. She apparently prepared cheese dishes for him and then he fell asleep and she chopped his head off. And that was supposed to be one of the reasons that the Israelites were able to attack Nebuchadnezzar's forces then and emerge victorious this time when they were under the rule of the Assyrian army. And so since we today enjoy potato latkes, I thought it was important to mention the that cheese used to be what people fried before. And I do allude to that in my short story in Eight Kisses. And apparently the cheese latkes morphed into potato latkes sometime in the late 16th century. And that makes sense because potatoes came from the Americas. So the Europeans would not have had access to them earlier than that point. Another interesting fact is that a menorah is usually lit at a window. However, in Mishnaic times, the menorah would be placed outside on the left side of the door leading in from the street. I also talk about this in uh, my my short story in Eight Kisses because in my story, my heroine has a menorah that has been passed down to her for uh, generations and it is an oil lamp that has a stand that can go inside, but there are a couple occasions where she has to bring it in based on the weather and some other factors. Uh, We don't do that anymore because typically it is easier to light a menorah inside. But I just thought that was a very interesting piece of history that I didn't know about until I did research for this book. But the, the other thing, the reason that it is on the left side of the house is because we typically put what's called a mezuzah on the right side of our door. And a mezuzah, if you've never seen one, it's a little rectangle box, kind of the shape of an old-fashioned doorbell, but they're usually decorated. And sometimes they have 
pretty pictures on them. Sometimes they have uh, Hebrew writing on them. But uh, inside is typically a scroll that has a blessing written on it, blessing the house. So the purpose of having the mezuzah on one side and the menorah on the other is to signify that you are literally surrounded by holiness. And what I wanted to do next was read to you guys the author's note about my short story because it gives you just a tiny bit of the history of the Jewish people in England and Scotland. And it relates to uh, my story, A Highlander for Hanukkah. So here it is. History is rife with religious tensions. In 1290, Jews were expelled from England. Although allowed to return in 1655, because Cromwell wanted Jewish merchants to transfer their trade routes from Holland to London, they were not allowed to become citizens. The London Society for Promoting Christianity Amongst the Jews originally started in 1809, but was active before that time period. Some of the historical documents regarding the group's misunderstandings of the Jewish faith are appalling. Jews were afforded more freedom in Scotland. On the converse, for hundreds of years throughout Great Britain, Catholics were forced to hide their aspects of their beliefs. The strife between Catholics and Protestants even reached into the monarchy and led to revolts, wars, and the loss of many lives. I hope you enjoy A Highlander for Hanukkah, an interfaith tale of hope, love, and acceptance. So I just wanted to give you that little bit of background before before I go in because I'm going to read to you there are three blessings that you say on the first night of Hanukkah and I'm going to close out with those because I think it's appropriate and I while I cannot read these in Hebrew I'm going to read them to you in English and you will probably thank me for that because you will understand them. And they are Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to kindle the Hanukkah light. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who performed miracles for our forefathers in those days at this time. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has granted us life, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this occasion. So those are the three prayers that you read on the first night, but they change for uh, different nights. And I just thought that was appropriate to end off our section on Hanukkah. So now on to what I am reading. This week, well, technically for the last few weeks, I've been reading The Good Daughter by Karen Slaughter. And the reason I say that is because I'm listening to it on audiobook. And I love suspense. I really do. But I kind of have a weak constitution. And the epilogue in this book was very disturbing. Now, the, the book has gotten really good and I'm really enjoying it. But it took me getting through that epilogue to really get into it. So I listened to it. I had to stop in the middle of the epilogue and put the book away for it, it was at least two weeks before I could listen again. And now that I've made it through that part, I'm really enjoying it. So uh, if you love disturbing suspense, this is the book for you. The Good Daughter by Karen Slaughter. Two girls are forced into the woods at gunpoint. 
One runs for her life. One is left behind. 28 years ago, Charlotte and Samantha Quinn's happy small-town family life was torn apart by a terrifying attack on their family home. It left their mother dead. It left their father, Pikesville's notorious defense attorney, devastated, and it left the family fractured beyond repair, consumed by secrets from that terrible night. 28 years later, Charlie has followed in her father's footsteps to become a lawyer herself, the ideal good daughter. But when violence comes to Pikesville again and a shocking tragedy leaves the whole town traumatized, Charlie is plunged into a nightmare. Not only is she the first witness on the scene, but it's a case that unleashes the terrible memories she's spent so long trying to suppress. Because the shocking truth about the crime that destroyed her family nearly 30 years ago won't stay buried forever. Packed with twists and turns, brimming with emotion and heart, The Good Daughter is fiction at its most thrilling. So if you like suspense and you can handle very disturbing content, I recommend this book. I will definitely be finishing it. And originally I was going to recommend a different book of mine, but since I've talked about Eight Kisses so much, I am going to go ahead and recommend it. Just, I was reluctant to do that because I know I mentioned it on the podcast last week, but my story, A Highlander for Hanukkah, which I've already mentioned, is in this Eight Kisses anthology. Uh, The book has earned a starred review from the American Library Association, and that's the highest review that they give. And I'm just going to read the little, the information off the back of the book. So it tells you a little bit about all the stories in it. Hanukkah is the festival of lights, celebrating an ancient miracle with candles, fried food, and family gatherings. What better time to find true love? From Regency Scotland to contemporary New York City, from sweet short stories to super spicy novellas, Eight Kisses spreads a feast of love. Interfaith opposites attract. A small town reunion offers a second chance. An interracial couple rises above initial misunderstandings. Online dating yields unexpected foodie dreams. A Jewish mourner discovers solace at a Catholic feast. A hometown visit heals old wounds. The girl next door is something more. Seasoned lovers reaffirm true love. Move over Christmas movies. Spin the dreidel, gobble the gelt, and devour a tower of latkes as you read these tales of Hanukkah love. So that is more about the Eight Kisses anthology. And if you are in the mood to learn a little bit more of about Hanukkah, I uh, recommend that because it has obviously the research that I put into the historical short story that's in it, but uh, it has different takes on Hanukkah and how different people celebrate Hanukkah because everyone has their own way of celebrating. And I do have a reader question this week. This, This week's question is from Carol, and her question is, if you could go back in history, what is the very first thing you would change? I looked at this question and I'm like, oh my God, there's so, so, so many things that need to be changed about history. But 
I'm also one of those people who feels like if I went back and changed something, it would completely screw up something else. So I'm one of those people that believes in the butterfly effect and I wouldn't touch something that happened in the past if I could avoid it. And I hope that we all continue to learn from history. So thank you for that question, Carol. It really made me think. If you have a question for us, please email us at historybooksandwine at gmail.com. Who knows, maybe one of us will read it and answer it on a future podcast. In two weeks, Madeline Martin will return on December 19th with The History of Christmas. And on January 2nd, Eliza Knight will be back telling us all about Hogmanay. Then you'll get all three of us again on January 16th for our happy hour episode. Our website is historybooksandwine.buzzsprout.com. There you will be able to find the show notes for today's episode, along with those directions on how to play dreidel. History Books and Wine can also be found on iTunes, Spotify, and if you say, Alexa, play History Books and Wine podcast, she will play you the most recent episode. If you like what you heard today, please consider leaving us a review or recommending us to your friends. And we are always excited to hear questions from our readers. So email us at historybooksandwine at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week and a happy holiday season. Bye.